The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. I want to continue our series that we've been walking through on Sunday morning. In the Gospel of Matthew, we've made our way to what's called the Sermon on the Mount, an actual uh, sermon from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, uh, the beginning of which begins with what's called the Beatitudes, these statements of blessing that, that Jesus describes who the blessed are, uh, who the ones are who have the favor of God upon them, who the ones are who have a contentment in life no matter what they're going through because God's blessing is upon them. Blessing, blessed, what we long for and strive for in our life, what I, what I would hope and pray even upon every one of our graduating seniors that were filling this stage just a moment ago, a blessed life. Uh, before the Lord, what we all as believers ought to be longing and yearning for. He, he describes it for us. And this description, if you've been with us, you know, is not a means of our way of working to get into the kingdom of God, as if we keep these Beatitudes and we might get to heaven someday. Too many people look to the Scriptures as a whole, and especially the Beatitudes in that way. Like, if I can just get a little bit more merciful, maybe God's going to show me mercy someday. Or if I can get a little bit more purity of heart, then maybe I'll make it into heaven. No, this sermon was given by the Lord Jesus to reveal to all of us we don't measure up to what we ought to be. Uh, We all fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Every one of us are sinners before a holy God. It's really meant to convict us and to lead us to an understanding we need salvation. We need redemption that's apart from us. We need what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary to redeem us and save us. It ultimately points us to a confession of our sinfulness and a belief upon Jesus as Lord and Savior. And when you get to that point of turning from your sin and believing upon Christ as Lord and Savior, guess what? He saves you. He forgives you. He washes you your sins away. He, he makes you a new creation. He gives you a new heart. He gives you the Holy Spirit. And now in Christ, the work of Christ by His grace in you is meant to produce a change of life. And so your life isn't different because you're trying to earn your salvation. Your life ought to be different because you've been saved, because you've been forgiven, because you've been given the Holy Spirit. And then and only then do these characteristics mentioned in the Beatitudes really define us. It's not earning salvation. It's it's in light of salvation. If you're a believer... You're a child of God. You're a citizen of the kingdom to which Jesus is speaking of here. And these characteristics ought to be things that God is working in our life, producing within our living. You know, I prayed uh, deep and hard about what to bring to the graduating seniors as a message from God's Word. I, I had not originally intended to just continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew, but what I found as I prayed over it and, and began studying other passages, God kept leading me back to this passage because I, I have found, as God often does in His sovereign ways, where we are at just by happenstance navigating our way through the, the Gospel of Matthew it is a very powerful and applicable message that, that I would land upon, even just looking at many passages to bring before are graduating seniors in light of the world and the culture around us to which you are going, uh, whether that's university somewhere or whether that is into a, a secular workforce somewhere. Um, God has a way of, of aligning things beautifully, as I hope you will come to see as we look to this final beatitude, the uh, eighth beatitude found in verses 10 through 12 this morning. Let's go ahead and read through the entirety of the beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. Uh, We will read through verse 12. 
And seeing the multitudes, he, that's Jesus, he went up on a mountain, and uh, when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, the words of the Lord Jesus himself recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verses 11 and 12 are an expansion, the eighth the attitude is the only one that Jesus expands upon, as recorded by Matthew. Verse 11, he continues, he rephrases it. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you've been with us over the past seven weeks, we have walked through each of these Beatitudes, and we have seen these these deep, profound characteristics that God is at work producing within the heart of a believer. Poverty of spirit, first of all. That, That we realize we bring nothing to the table before God. That we are sinners in need of salvation, in need of His grace, in need of His mercy. All we bring to the table is the sin that makes our salvation necessary. We've seen that blessed are those who mourn, who realize their sin is a grievous offense before a holy God, and they, they lament over it. They, they, they mourn over it. They repent because of their sinfulness before God. And therefore, they're meek. They're, they're, they're gentle and self-controlled under the control of God because of their humility before Him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They want to serve the Lord. They want to obey God. They want to be righteous before the Lord in obedience to all of His commands. Blessed are the merciful. They have a merciful way about them because they've received the mercy of God. They as sinners, knowing they don't deserve God's forgiveness, have received it. So they, first and foremost, above all else, are are ready to give that forgiveness to others. They're pure in heart because they want to see God. They they don't want to be stained by the the sins of this life. Blessed are the peacemakers. They've got a desire to be a a peacemaker because of the peace God has given to them to bring peace into situations and relationships around them, but more importantly, to bring peace and make peace between others and between God, whom they now know as Lord and as Savior. Now, as we think about all of those, just again, deep, profound characteristics— We would imagine that one who embraces those things, one whom God is at work producing those characteristics in our living, I like to think, I don't know about you, but a person that lives that way would be prosperous in this life. That a person who lives that way would be very well liked. I mean, who doesn't like a peacemaking, gentle, meek, merciful, kind person, right? We would think that the eighth beatitude ought to read, Blessed are those who are prosperous and well-liked, for theirs is the kingdom of God. These beatitudes would lead us to a place of acceptance in life, and what we find is surprisingly just the opposite. That as we really 
follow God's word in obedience to Him, striving to live righteously before Him, and in grace and humility and mercy before others, standing upon His truth, but doing so in, 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 in mercy and doing so in meekness, doing so in purity of heart, what we find is that we're actually persecuted instead of achieving prosperity. We're actually rejected instead of receiving acceptance. And that in all of that, we mysteriously are entitled blessed of God as we endure the persecution unjustly put upon us as we're living for Christ's sake, as we're living for righteousness' sake. This is a very difficult call upon the life of every believer and upon every one of you graduating seniors this morning. It's a call in this final beatitude to endure persecution while still exhibiting all of those characteristics of the beatitudes that Jesus has set forth that define who we are. You following with me on that? To endure people slandering, reviling you, it says, Blessed are you when you are reviled and when false things are said about you for the name of Jesus, when others belittle and mock and and slander and lie and falsely accuse. You're blessed when you endure that persecution and it's implied you endure it in a way where you are still reflecting all of those other beatitudes that God has set before you. That even as you're enduring great affliction and suffering and hostility from a, a, a godless world and culture that is around you, you maintain a poverty of spirit before the Lord and before others. You maintain a, a mourning over your own sin and not judgmentally casting stones at other people. You maintain a meekness and a hunger for righteousness and a merciful heart and a pure heart and, and, and desire peace, not condemnation, but peace in their lives even before God, even those who are are persecuting you, not retaliating, not seeking vengeance or vindication, but absorbing the injustices that are done against you in persecution and responding with goodness. Not returning evil for evil, but returning goodness for the evil done against you. That is a hard task to which God has called every believer. And the greater the persecution, in a way the more difficult it can be, but honestly the greater the persecution Sometimes the easier it is. And we'll talk about that in a moment. What I want to give to our graduating seniors, with them in mind this morning, it's applicable to us all, but but I want to give to you two instructions regarding living the Christian life in the midst of an anti-Christian culture. Okay, two instructions for living the Christian life, especially you who are going off to a university, a secular university somewhere, living the Christian life in the midst of an anti-Christian culture. First of all, expect persecution. You you can count on it. Expect to be persecuted if you are genuinely following the Lord Jesus Christ in your living. You, You can count on it. God says it here and elsewhere. We'll look to a couple other passages. If you are following the Lord rightly, and if you are even following these Beatitudes and God's at work, producing these characteristics in your life. The world around you that is so anti-God and anti-Christian will bring persecution upon you. John 15, verses 18 through 21, Jesus says these words, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world loves its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Paul told his younger son in the faith, Timothy, in, in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you're really desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus, whether you're going to a school somewhere or whether you're going to a a work, a job, wherever it is, whatever it is that you're doing that God's called you to, if you're seeking to live godly in Christ Jesus in the midst of a fallen, broken world with fallen, broken people, you will be persecuted. There's all sorts of different kinds of persecution, and a lot of it varies to great degree. So so it is persecution when you're at school and somebody finds out you're a believer and a fellow student, you know, mocks you for being a believer. Like, you really believe in that nonsense? You you really don't do this or do that because you think the Bible tells you not to? That that is a form of persecution. You are being spoken badly of. It's a form of persecution when a teacher or professor who's got to bend towards Christians and is atheist or whatever their perspective and they feel like they've got to you know belittle and make a mockery of any believers in the classroom whether that's just public mockery or whether you receive a failing grade it's a it is a form of persecution it's lighter than uh, a lot of what Christians have endured in time past and around the world today but nonetheless it's still persecution that a believer endures when you are arrested and thrown into prison and charged with crimes for standing upon the truth of God's word, as is happening in Canada, and even a bill seeking to be passed in Ireland, for goodness sake, that make uh, much of what the Scripture teaches hate speech, for goodness sake, uh, that it be illegal to even have the word of God. Um, We're getting there where someday a believer just standing upon the truth of God could find themselves in jail, in prison. It's persecution that we should expect from a world that is hostile against God all around us. To think of some today who, when they come to faith in Jesus, are completely cast out of their family, cast out of their community, ostracized altogether from their small town or their village in many parts of the world. Um, Persecution. To look at many throughout the age of the church who have been burned at the stake, who, who have been beheaded, who have been fed to lions and to dogs in the Colosseum as it was in the early church and just after even our New Testament is completed, not long after. Um, persecution has been a sign of faithfulness to Christ for since the beginning. Expect to be persecuted if you're living a life for Jesus. Why? Why does the world hate us when we live for Christ? John 3, 19 and 20 make it pretty clear. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. And so there's Romans 1 talks about the law that's even written upon the heart of humanity, that there is a conscience that God gives for sinners to know sin is sin. And yet the ones who live a life of continual rejection of God and doing whatever they want, however they want, thinking they'll live for as long as they want, that that, that person has entered into darkness and they've they've seared their conscience in a way where they've justified what they're doing before God as being right. There is no God. I don't have to be accountable. I can do what I want. I can live however I want. And they, they convince themselves continually even though there's something deep down inside that brings a conviction that's not right, they have to convince themselves, it's, I'm, I'm right, this is who I am, this is what I am, this is who I, what I do, this is, uh, there is no God, all of this nonsense is just 
social constructs that have been created to force things upon us that that have no meaning at all. I, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. And the moment in that darkness that light comes into the picture, even if that's just a person who's seeking to live the Lord, live for the Lord and the grace of the Lord and follow after Him, that light shines into the darkness and exposes the darkness of their deeds. And darkness doesn't like that because now all of a sudden, not only do I have something deep down inside that I keep squishing, telling me that it's not right what I'm doing, there's this life that's shining now into my light, life. And, and I hate it because it's, it's, it's bringing something, it's bringing a, a, a knowledge that what I'm doing may not actually be okay. And I'm so busy squashing that in my own heart that when it comes from outside of me now, I I have to lash out in vengeance towards it. And that is what the anti-Christian world does all around us when even in great, even with great care and mercy and love for the person, we speak the truth into a situation. We receive an illogical lashing out of, of vengeance towards us simply because of the light that's exposing the darkness. And so don't, don't think you can find your way around it and navigate your way around it and serve the Lord and, and somehow find enough grace and love to show that it's not going to happen to you, that you're going to get around that. You're not. If you're living for Christ and if you're standing rightly even with a right heart upon the truth of God, you will receive persecution. The battlefield has long left the realm of philosophy and Go back a few years ago, even, and in the 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 battle would be fought in, in a philosophical way in a classroom to argue the existence of God, to to argue the truthfulness of God's word, to and more in the realm of philosophy and intellect. And and that battle is long left. The battle now is fought in the everyday realm of morality, even within our everyday living. Our, our everyday morality is controlled not by logic and intellect. It's controlled now by passions and desires uh, that, that we justify. You just look through the headlines of any paper, any, any news website today, and you'll see in the headlines even the greatest areas of contention today um, definitely revolve around human sexuality. Uh, they revolve around gender identity and sexual attraction. And we live in in an era where the culture around us has so far departed from the Scripture's teaching on human sexuality and on human uh, or gender identity that that to take a biblical stand on these issues, even with a heart of brokenness and a heart of grace and a heart of love, um, it, it will and it does bring great hostility, great persecution. Just to simply read a basic fundamental scripture like Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. A foundational, fundamental understanding of human existence, not only biblically, but even within a secular knowledge, uh, without the Bible, going back for generations, that there's male and female that God's created by his good design equal in value and worth and dignity before Him, both in the image of God, both a reflection of His, of His, of His glory being manifested in His creation. And He created male and female. To read this Bible verse, a student, as you go to a college campus and say, I believe this, you better expect you're going you're gonna to receive a lot of persecution. You're going to receive a lot of, of hostility. And the temptation is 
twofold. On one side, you know, we fall off of the donkey on both sides. On, on one side, there's a temptation to, to give in and accommodate truth out of a false guise of love. And so, you know, isn't it unloving to just not embrace that person's preferred pronoun and, and address them by it and, and just, you know, try to accommodate? And, 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 and there's a temptation to do that out of a short-sighted love for them and to not, not rock the boat, to not cause hostility. And, and many fall off on that side. And then there, there's the other side that you can fall off on, that, that you, you become vindictive and even angry and belittling and demeaning and condemning, and you're standing upon a biblical truth of, of male and female being uh, the genders that God has created, and, and you, you approach it with such a heart of arrogance and self-righteousness that, that really you might have the right view, but it's done in such a way that Satan would be well pleased with it. And, and that is where the two pitfalls are on each side. And what Jesus calls us to, and what is our, our, our call to here is to speak the truth, but to speak it in love. To speak the truth, and even when we're lashed out at, even when we're met with, with, with suffering and pain being inflicted, we don't respond with the same. We, we still respond with mercy and with a pure heart and with peacemaking as the ultimate goal, that the reason we're speaking is because there is a God to whom we all must give an account. And, and we want everyone to know the same forgiveness we've received. We want everyone to know the love of God that we've received. And so our end goal is peacemaking to lead them to Christ no matter who they are, no matter what they're doing. We speak in love, yet we still expect persecution with poverty of spirit, mourning, meekness, hunger for righteousness, mercy, purity of heart, desire for peace. But hear me, you, you can't just pretend it's okay and go along with it. I had this conversation just a, a few weeks ago with somebody that was asking that question of, you know, should I just embrace the, the preferred pronoun and out of a heart of love for them, just go along with it? And, and my response is we, we can't. As, as beneficial in one sense as that would be in the short term, realize long term, that is detrimental. Right? Long term, if God is, and this is true, that is detrimental for them. It's a short-sighted love. It's a love that takes the easy way and not the hard way. Because if God's Word is true, that is sin. And temptation leads to lust, and lust leads to sin, and sin, the Bible says, leads to death. And if we really love them with the love of God and the grace and mercy of God that we've been given, our heart is for them too to be at peace with God. And you must come to an understanding of your sin and a repentance of it and a belief upon Jesus in order for that to happen. I like to think of it with this simple illustration. If I had a, a loved one or a friend who fought every morning if they took this plant and crushed it up and put it in their drink and, and drank this cup of water with this plant mixed in every morning, that that was the key to their long being of health and happiness in life, and I knew that plant was actually toxic. That plant was actually a poison that would slowly bring about their death. That would not help them and make them happy in the long run. That, that would only bring about death in the end. And I went along with it and affirmed them in it and said, yeah, you know, that's great that you think that. Man, that's awesome. Let me help make that for you. Like there's a short-sighted false peace, false love in that, but in the long run, if sin truly leads to eternal death and damnation, that is not loving. 
What is hard is to do the loving thing and say, listen, I've got my own sins. I know this sin for you is different than my sin, but all sin is sin. And I met a Savior named Jesus, and He can forgive me. And He alone is the source of true happiness. He alone is the source of really being at peace with ourselves and who God has designed us to be. He alone can wash away your sins and give you eternal life and eternal hope. You've got to turn from these things, and you've got to, you've got to turn to Him and believe upon Him as Lord and Savior. And that means you can't keep doing the sins you were doing. I couldn't keep living with a woman who's not my wife. You couldn't keep doing whatever it is that that your sinful lusts are desiring to do because sin brings forth death. And if you really come to Jesus, you'll turn from all of that. And you say it in love, and you say it as one sinner who's found forgiveness to another sinner in need of forgiveness. But hear me, no matter how right your heart is in it, when you bring that light into darkness many of times, not all times, because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, and thank God there are times when you do that, that His Spirit revives and regenerates and brings salvation... But many a times you don't find repentance and salvation. Many a times you find hate. Many a times you find persecution. You find hostility. One of the most difficult things that you are called to do is to do what is right and best for a person even when they hate you all the more for it. One of the most difficult things that you can ever do is to do what is right and best for a person even when they hate you all the more for it. Genesis 2.24, another basic fundamental moral issue of our day. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This speaks just as much about premarital sex as it does LGBTQ+. You really want to be an oddball living for Christ today on a college campus somewhere, say, I really believe God gives sexual desire, but the fulfillment of that is, is only to be fulfilled within the soil of a marriage, within a husband and a wife, one man, one woman, uh, in a lifelong covenant marriage where the two become one in the eyes of God. And realize that's not restricting or confining. It's actually what is best for you, human, individually, and also generally for human prosperity. The, the, the family unit of a mother and father and a lifelong commitment to one another to rear and raise children. It's God's good design. It brings about the greatest blessing and contentment and joy in life. Expect persecution. Me even saying the things I'm saying right now, someday soon could land me in jail. And even soon after the service, there may be some in attendance that even though I promise I, I, I'm speaking out of a brokenness and out of a love for you, um, who knows? I, I hope you come to see the truth of God. And even as you lash out in anger and in justification of sin, that eventually God would bring you to a place of understanding His love for you, His grace, what He's done for you through Christ dying upon a cross for your sins. Expect persecution. We'll quickly wrap it up with a second instruction. Rejoice in persecution. Verse 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're not called to rejoice because of persecution. That would be mentally unstable, to enjoy being persecuted. That's not what Jesus is saying here. 
But we're not to rejoice because of the persecution, but we are to rejoice because of what the persecution means and what it's doing within us. And, and so first of all, it, it means as you're persecuted that you really are living a life for Christ. Because if you're really living for Christ, you're not going to get along well with the world around you. There will be hostility from the world. So, so there's a validation as you're persecuted. I am on the right path. If I'm doing it for righteousness' sake, if I'm doing it for Jesus' sake. So, so there's a validation of your salvation. And there's also a work that God does within your heart to, to set your focus upon the things above, to set your focus upon heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. Uh, we often are, are so comfortable in the here and now in this country that, that we, we fail to set our affections on things above. We fail to long for eternity as we ought to because we are so lulled to sleep spiritually by the comforts of our lives in the United States of America that I've heard of people who've actually been persecuted in other countries facing death even and meeting in churches in secret. They pray for persecution upon the American church because the American church is so lax and is so comfortable lives for everything else but for the kingdom of God. Experience a little bit of persecution and it has a way of of making us understand just how short life is here and now and how broken things are here and now. And it makes us long for what is yet to come and a new heaven and a new earth. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 16 Peter writes, Peter heard Jesus give this sermon on the mount. He heard Jesus give this beatitude and undoubtedly he has this beatitude in mind as he writes 1 Peter 4 verses 12 through 16 Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when he in his glory is revealed you may also be glad with exceeding joy you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he's blasphemed, but on your part he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a busybody in other people's business. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory and glorify God in this matter. Like there is a call to suffer, to endure persecution well, for righteousness' sake, for Jesus' sake. And there's a glory in it. There's a reward eternally for it as we recognize, again, the brokenness of this life. And we yearn and long for that day where, where Jesus comes and makes all things new. We need to wrap it up. Going back to Matthew 5 and verse 12. It ends and it says, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That when you live such a life, and when you endure well the persecutions that are brought against you, you get added to a long line of faithful saints of ages past. To be named with Abel. Abel who was killed by his brother, his his biological brother, Cain. Why? Because the Bible says Cain's works were evil and Abel's were righteous. To be labeled with Joseph who, who was persecuted and thrown in in prison because he wouldn't commit adultery with Potiphar's wife, to be labeled with Moses who was mocked and even usurped in authority because of his meekness, to be labeled to to stand with with Elijah as he stood against all the false prophets of of Baal and and all the numerous multitude worshiping false idols, and yet he alone stood and worshiped God, to stand with Jeremiah who was thrown into a pit because he was giving the the Word of God to a people who didn't want to hear it, and they literally threw him into a pit and said, starve to death and die. And 
Jeremiah said the Word of God was like a fire within his bones, and even though he didn't want to proclaim it anymore, he couldn't help but speak forth the Word of God to the people to whom God had called him. He labeled with Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And when the king says, bow to this, to this statue, what do they do? They say, no, we cannot bow. You could throw us in the fire and God might deliver us from the fire or He might deliver us through the fire, but we will not bow the knee. To be labeled with Daniel, who when Daniel had said, you can't pray to your God anymore, he knelt down and he prayed. He was thrown into a lion's den. And yet God delivered him. You know, I am just a few years back would close out a message addressing our, our seniors with with an illustration of Paul from Acts chapter 17. I would put Paul going to Mars Hill in Athens where he stands with all the philosophers and all the religious groups and all the intellects of the day and and he proclaims there is one true living God and we will all stand accountable to Him. But this God gave His Son Jesus and He died upon a cross, was buried and raised again. That, That would be a message for graduating classes of ages past and the not-so-distant past from us today. But I think better for us today is the example I wish to leave with you from Acts chapter 7, that of Stephen, the first martyr of the early church. Martyr meaning one whose life was taken because of their stand for God and His truth. You go back to chapter 6 to gain a little bit of context. Just read a few verses and we'll close in prayer. Graduating seniors, I want you to remember Stephen as you face whatever it is that God may be leading you to. It says in chapter 6 and verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and of power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, disputing with Stephen. So as he was doing the works of God, there was a crew that was against it, and they began to dispute with him. Verse 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. They weren't able to defeat him on fair ground, so what did they do? Verse 11, then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They lied and falsely accused. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and and seized him and brought him to the council. So they set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him and saw his face as the face of an angel in the midst of that false accusation and slander. Chapter 7, we won't read it, but he delivers this great overview of God's work in time past to draw his people to himself and the present work of God through Jesus to draw his people unto himself. And and we read the conclusion, verse 54, when they heard these things, chapter 7, verse 54, they were cut to the heart. Did it lead to repentance and belief? No. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open 
and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, they stopped their ears, and they ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, the final words of the first martyr of the early church. Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask that you would give of your grace, give to us all a faith like Stephen's, a faith in life and a faith even in death, to see Christ, to serve Christ, even in the face of great opposition and persecution, to not become self-righteous and arrogant, to not give way and cower in fear, but to boldly with meekness and mercy and grace and love to boldly speak forth your truth and to endure well the persecution that that will bring. And I pray for every one of these seniors that are on this stage, all of them professing to know you as Lord and Savior, as they go to where they will go. Lord, go with them. Prepare the way. Strengthen them. Protect them. Keep them from temptation. But Lord, give to them a strength in their faith to endure persecution. And to be blessed because of it. To rejoice even because of it. Knowing that that is a confirmation they're living for you. Knowing that you are at work in the midst of it all to draw people to Christ. Lord, if there be any in here who have never turned to Him. Who've never repented and believed upon Him as Lord and Savior. I beg even now, Lord, that Your Spirit would work. Open eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe. I ask it in Jesus' name.